Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords, and this is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 434th show is Dr. Lynette Ozzie-Lessing, Clinical Professor of Social Work and Chair of Specialization of Children, Youth, and Families at Boston University. And we're going to be talking about Behind from the Start, How America's War on the Poor is Harming Our Most Vulnerable Children. Our history buffs are Rick Sweet and Terry Toppler. And Terry, why don't you start us off this time? So, Lynette, can you tell me, how did creating the school, the alternative school, lead you to write your book? Well, Terry, as I, as I mentioned in the, in the book, um, I was working in a community mental health center in a low-income community, and we were, I was charged with establishing a school, an alternative school, for mostly boys, middle school and high school age, who exhibited violent behavior and weren't able to be educated in even a special ed program in a regular public school system. And one of the things that I noticed as we began to admit uh, youth into this alternative school is that almost every single one of those boys came with a record of somebody identifying that the family needed help, and particularly the parent, often a sing- young single mom, needed help very early on in life when the, when the child was four, five, six years old. And I, I saw this in case after case in each, you know, in each set of records that I read. And what I also saw was that so many of these families never got the help that they needed, that the waiting lists were too long, that the program wasn't the parenting program or whatever it was that they were referred to, didn't meet the, the real needs that the family had, and that poverty played such a significant role in the child arriving at school with some behavior problems, with learning problems that impacted their education from the day they set foot in the classroom in a regular school setting. And so that not only led to my writing the book, but it led to my changing my career focus uh, to one of focusing on, on families with young children and particularly those in poverty. And so I left my job at the mental health center and actually went off to start a new organization that focused specifically on families with young children living in poverty and trying to meet the multiple needs that those children and family have early on so that by the time children reach school, they were in good shape. They were prepared to learn and prepared to be successful in school. Lynette, you mentioned earlier in our uh, broadcast portion that, uh, the essentially anti-poverty programs, children po- po- uh, poverty programs have morphed over to individual state control where there's at least 50 or 51, if you include Puerto Rico, uh, in uh, how they administer what their philosophy is and in how it goes about. Is it possible, uh, I know you must have given some thought to this, is this something that needs to be addressed uh, on the national level? Uh, you mentioned the Johnson's uh, anti-poverty programs that were initially successful, but is this something that needs to come from the national government as, to fo- as opposed to the 
various states. Uh, yes, and I think that, yes, and there's a movement afoot to do so. There's there's a growing movement to reform this program. It's the program is called TANF, which is Temporary Assistance to Needy Families, and it's the cash assistance that the government provides to families whose ba- whose existing income isn't enough to to adequately care for a children for children. Again, as I said earlier, the block granting of TANF was perhaps well-intentioned in that one would think that local communities and local government, at least state government, would have a better sense of that state's particular needs rather than the federal government. But by block granting the TANF dollars, essentially welfare dollars, to states, uh, two but two negative things happened. One, the states had tremendous flexibility and and used these funds to plug budget holes, uh, use it for their child protective systems, their child welfare systems, foster care, things like that, instead of helping poor families take care of their own children. Um, the the other negative thing in terms of block granting TANF is that when Times are hard in the country, like during the recession that began in 2008 and during COVID when so many people lost their jobs. Because the block grants are capped at a certain amount and fixed in time, they're not able to rise to meet rising need. And so you, you have situations where the economy takes a downturn for whatever reason and, and the funds aren't there to help the, the rise in the number of families in poverty. Okay. Lynette, I'm, Rick thinks of himself as the, uh, the group capitalist, but I'm also going to ask a, a capitalist question. Um, one of the things that, that I hear an awful lot of people complaining about uh, the poor um, is that you know they, they, they're constantly siphoning funds and I hate my tax dollars having to go um, to people who I don't know, who I may not like or agree with. And, and so there's this sort of a, you're, you're taking my money away from me sort of thing. And I always uh-huh. thought one of the easy solutions to that would simply be to have a living wage. To have yes. to have a, a income minimum a minimum wage income that actually allowed people to live well or or you know to live adequately um, and uh, that would would resolve that problem because if I'm making enough money and we know from our research that most of the of the uh, poor are working if I'm making enough money to pay my bills and I don't need government assistance, that sounds like a win-win from every point of view, and yet minimum wage laws are universally fought um, by the same folks who are complaining about having to spend their tax dollars. Um, yeah. You know, what do you think about that, and, and do you think that a, a, a change, again, looking for simple solutions, a, a major um, benefit could be gained just by altering the way minimum wage is dealt with in the country? I, I think raising the minimum wage so that a parent is able to support a family on a 40-hour work week would be hugely beneficial to to the country and to children in poverty. Parents shouldn't have to work two jobs in order to make ends meet. Uh, and many parents who do don't make ends meet. 
they they still rely on government benefits. And the thing is, you know, many of these these low wage workers are are working on the front lines uh, for big corporations, uh, for the McDonald's and the WalMarts and Target and Amazon and and those kinds of companies. Although I understand Amazon has has raised its bottom wages. Um, and so when the government is funding things like food stamps and Medicaid health care for families because the parents don't make enough money, uh, their, their employers aren't paying them enough money to support their family and to, and, and to have a decent standard of living. The government, we as taxpayers, are essentially subsidizing those corporations by, by paying the rest of it in, in benefits to families that aren't making a living wage. And so we really need to turn that around. And given the fact that the consequences of child poverty cost this country a billion dollars a year, uh, I'm sorry, a trillion dollars a year in, in lost wages and, and special ed and mental health costs and so forth, Given that it costs us all to have kids growing up in poverty, uh, we really need to demolish that argument and set that argument aside in terms of taxpayers' money having to go to help other people. When we help children in poverty, we're helping ourselves. We're helping ourselves as a country, as a nation. We're helping prepare the workforce and ensuring we have an adequate workforce uh, going forward. Terry. Yes, uh, Lynette, what would you say was the hardest piece to write about in your book, Behind from the Start? Wow, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I guess the hardest piece to write about, given the times, given that I was writing in 2015 and 2016, the book came out in 2017, was about race. Um, I don't consider myself a scholar in the area of race and racism. I've certainly, uh, certainly as a social worker and a social work educator, am acutely aware of the way that, that racism harms the well-being of millions of Americans and the life chances of millions of American children. But everywhere I turned in terms of doing my research for the book, I found racial disparities certainly in terms of, you know, which children are more likely to have a parent incarcerated, which children are more likely to live in an area where there are environmental hazards to their house, uh, in, to their health, uh, things like bus terminals that are located in poor neighborhoods, chemical factories, other kinds of, of industries that produce pollution, that um, children of color and black children in particular are more likely to live in neighborhoods that are unsafe, that don't have adequate resources. Things like uh, supermarkets that sell healthy food in, in, instead of convenience. That black children and other children of color are more likely to live in families who have been discriminated against in terms of adequate housing and employment. And so I really felt a call to bring these issues to attention, knowing that a lot of people, a lot of potential readers, um, 
may have found that very uncomfortable, but we need, we need to sit with this discomfort and we need to do something about it. Um, so I, I would say really writing about racial in, in, in inequity and racial inequality uh, was one of the more challenging parts of writing the book because it showed up everywhere and it's so systemic in our policies that um, it, it really needed to stand out. All right. Well, we'll let that kind of be the final word. Uh, we'd like to thank our guest for this 434th show, Dr. Lynette Azie Lessing, clinical professor of social work and chair of specialization of children, youth, and families at Boston University. We've been talking about her book, Behind from the Start, How America's War on the Poor is Harming Our Most Vulnerable Children. The history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Terry Toppler. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 on the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at Station KALA, St. Ambrose University.